A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Candace King, and this is a Super Bloom podcast. Oh, man. I mean, at 35, and while in therapy, I am really disheveled anytime my therapist kind of connects something in my adulthood to my childhood. Like, it, it's kind of like all the lights turn on, but it's not like in. You know, it's not like a dark room and the lights turn on in the middle of the day because you're trying to find something or it's not like, ooh, it was really cloudy outside and now the sun's out and it's really beautiful. It's more that feeling when you've been, you know, maybe at like a bar and it's loud and it's dark and all of a sudden all the lights come on and all the glitz and the glamour of it um, goes away and you really get a pure visual of like the sticky floor in front of you um, and <laughs> and everyone around you just see in a completely different light. That to me is what it feels like when the lights come on and I realize something in my childhood is connected to patterns within my adulthood. And then it makes me feel bad for the childhood version of myself and then I reckon with, you know, why those patterns existed in the first place and how I wish I had just known better or how I wish I had the tools back then to have known better. But then I'm in therapy and I have a professional sitting there talking with me and speaking to me about the fact that this is also just part of becoming an adult is sometimes getting the answers to your questions a little bit later and giving yourself grace and remembering that we are all human and that is okay. And that is also the joy that comes with aging and 
becoming an adult is that you can actually take the time to do that work and unpack that baggage a little bit and and not look around and in fear and horror at, at the sights around you when the lights are all turned on and instead start looking around and going like, okay, I can actually appreciate this visual in a new perspective now. That's how I feel at the age of 35 when, um, when I learned something new about myself that I wish I had known earlier on. Lauren Ober is an award-winning audio reporter, a podcast host and producer, most recently a fine gorilla person from Topic Studios and Audible. Before that, she hosted Spectacular Failures from APM Studios. Ober also hosted and produced NPR's The Big Listen, a nationally distributed broadcast about podcasts. Today, we're going to be talking about her newest podcast, The Loudest Girl in the World. The Loudest Girl in the World is a new podcast that tells the story of Lauren's journey to understand what the hell it means to be on the autism spectrum and how to live life as a newly diagnosed autistic person. As someone who's, you know, you're, you've been in the podcast realm for a very long time and you are, this is not your first go around the mic. And I appreciate no. that your new podcast is called The Loudest Girl in the World because something I'm trying to be better at on this podcast is not yelling into the microphone with excitement every oh, five seconds because yeah. I happen to be a loud, excited person in yeah. the world. Like I do have people tell me like, wow, my ear is right here and you don't have to yell it. Like I, I can hear what you say, even if you just knock it down a few decibels. So that's what I'm working on. And I just love that. That's the name of your new podcast. Uh, it is fantastic. Well, listen, it's uh, it is not hyperbole because it is, in fact, uh, true. I am the loudest, I think, although I think Leslie Jones probably beats me by a few decibels. But, you know, like I, I am the person that you don't want to sit next to in the theater because I have an extremely loud laugh. I remember one time I was at a Broadway show and this older gentleman was sitting next to me and every time something funny happened, he would go oh in the ear that was facing me and he'd plug his ear and he would go oh and like I was like I get it dude like I can't do anything about it you know like I just have a higher register like you should have paid for a more expensive seat if you didn't <laughs> want to sit next to hobos like me so his problem not mine but yes uh I am loud uh but I keep my levels very low in my uh in my audio settings because I know my voice yeah. And I respect, and that's what I'm trying to do is know my voice a little bit uh, better. And before we jump into your new podcast, I also just want to take a moment, speaking of voices, to acknowledge something I listened to you say on someone else's podcast. It was uh, Patrick Oliver Jones. You were just talking about just podcasting in general and specifically mm. like women in the podcast sphere. And something that you said that really stuck with me was that you hate when women say they hate their voice. Ugh. Hate and it. it is so true and it does feel like women specifically are always like oh god no I don't want to listen to myself and I don't want to you know I don't want to be too loud or I don't want to be too quiet or too, too it's always too something and yeah. you went on this beautiful kind of like you open up this beautiful discussion of the importance of encouraging other women to lean into using your fucking voice like yeah why why would you be afraid to use it which is rooted in a lot of things that we already well of course about. I mean we know we know why but like I've never heard a man be like mm, I hate the sound of my voice he's like mm, I love it 
let me hear more of it. Let me hear his voice and his voice and his voice. Uh, yeah, it's the thing that drives me nuts. But I get, I mean, I get where it comes from. But also, your voice is this thing that you really are never going to be able to do anything about. I mean, you can change your accent, you can raise or lower the pitch a little bit. But ultimately, you know, I, I view, you know, voices as fingerprints. It's not even so much about your voice necessarily, but it's about like you being able to communicate with the world and even, you know, people who do not speak communicate with the world. Like it's about sort of owning the thoughts that you have and the, and your place in the world and valuing that. Yeah. I mean, the sound of your voice, it's like, who cares? You know, who yeah. cares? Like, and women get dinged for this all the time because it's like they, their voice is too high. It doesn't have enough gravitas, you know, and I've never had to deal with that because obviously I don't have a high voice. I have, you know, pretty like medium range voice. But like it's it's like who's saying that to you? Dudes are. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. They're like, can I explain with my voice why your voice is annoying to me? Give me a few minutes. It's just yeah. like, what? yeah, I know. Yeah. I, it's funny. I have a six year old and I've noticed, you know, she's especially at that age, it's a lot of energy and it's a lot of like figuring out boundaries and like a very active way. It's like, ooh, can I do a gymnastics routine in the living room around breakable things? Let's find out. I think the um, answer is, yeah, let's do yeah. it. Let's try. I say <laughs> yeah. that as a person without children. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then hours later, as I'm picking up the shards of glass, I go, we are not doing this anymore. Well, you can't. You can't. Like, I know it's like break the glass ceiling, but not this one, because right. then mommy has to clean it up. And I'm you tired. tried and you failed. And you that is and that's what life is about, honey. Yeah, but I've noticed myself uh, saying like, OK, it's very you're very loud. Just keep your voice down. It's like, can we just bring it down? And and after hearing that and realizing how much of my own inner voice tells me that I need to be quieter or speak more eloquently or more delicately, uh, it's really you're you're just you saying that really stuck with me, even just watching my uh, young daughter kind of grow and being like, no, I want to encourage her to be a little bit fucking loud sometimes. That's OK. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Out. Go for it. hundred percent. I mean, you know, at some point I had to realize like it's this is not going to change. I'm not going to become a quiet person. I think that getting a an autism diagnosis sort of helped me understand. I mean, one of the questions I always had was like, why was I always getting in trouble for talking too much and for being loud and being too much? Accepting that like this is just how you are. And there, there, there's a time and a place to be loud and to talk a lot. And then there's a time and a place to try to listen and to, you know, like be a little bit more subdued. But, but just being quiet for quiet's sake is not anything that I'm interested in. And I don't think that we should be encouraging people just, you know, I, I like there are a million different ways to express yourself. I don't think that, especially with children, we should be telling them we should be stifling their expression so early because like life's going to do that. You know, your job's yeah. going to do that. You know, dating is going to do that. Like lots of terrible things are going to do that. Like we don't need it to happen for children quite yet. Well, what I love about your new podcast is, um, you know, you just mentioned getting diagnosed with autism, especially in your 40s that you've decided to not only share in what you've experienced and what you've learned and had 
kind of, I'm assuming like an element of relearning about yourself or have it like looking back on your life in a different way, making that space for other people to also like maybe ask questions about themselves that they never had. And also, and while also doing that, documenting it, you know, you've, you brought in the listeners into your experience. I know, you know, just kind of hearing your first episode, your teaser episode about you, you know, made sure that there, that you recorded telling some of your friends and family about your diagnosis. It is really interesting, this idea that we For me personally, I feel like I've convinced myself that, okay, once I'm in my 20s, I'm just going to know what kind of woman I am. And then I'm like, oh, no, my frontal lobe isn't formed yet. Scratch that. Record (laughs) scratch. You know what? In your 30s, that's when you really figure it out. And then I've spoken to other friends of mine in their 40s. I'm like, no, no, no. It's when you're in your 40s, that's when you figure it out. But the running joke is that I don't think we ever truly ever figure that out. And that's like the whole joy of it. But then to be at a point in your life where, you know, you there's an element of needing to feel like you've figured out yourself up into this point and then getting a diagnosis of, oh, actually, it's autism. What is the emotional trajectory of that moment, whether it's relief, whether it's, you know, is that a record scratch moment? Like, hold on, that that can't be it at all. I mean, what do you feel at that point in your life? Because you're I'm assuming at that point, you're not only looking forward about what this means for the future, but also very reflective and looking backwards as well. You're right in that there's, you know, we we have this artificial notion that at some point we're going to figure ourselves out and then it's going to be smooth sailing. And I don't believe that. And I think, you know, society sort of puts that on us and it's really unfortunate because it's extremely limiting. It assumes that, like, you know, there's this path and the path is correct for everybody. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I I don't... So that's just me saying I agree with you. I sort of felt like that myself a little bit, like, oh, like, why is everything harder for me? Like, it shouldn't be as hard. Everybody else seems like it's, it's easier for them. Like, my friends, like, their jobs are more stable or their housing or their families or this or that. And they don't seem to have friction with people or they don't seem to have difficulties at work or whatever it was. So I think I started with a kind of question for myself, like thing, I just seem to be struggling more and not that anybody would know because I'm really a wizard at hiding that. Um, and that is very autistic in and of itself is that sort of masking, particularly for women and people who are not men um, on the spectrum. But yeah, I don't know. I I was, I just felt off in a way, but you know, life keeps on moving and everything is fine. And then for mm-hmm. me, you know, when the pandemic happened, I think it was like all of the sources of support you know, that that we all leaned on kind of fell away. Particularly for me, it was like a routine or, you know, regularly seeing friends or these things that like made your life make sense in some way, even if you felt like it was difficult. And it just made me think about things. It, It crystallized a lot of things for me that I had been talking about maybe in therapy or, you know, like, why was I always in trouble? Why did I always feel bad about myself? Like, from the time I was a small child until, you know, I mean, I'm 44. And I still have that feeling of like, Oh, you're bad, you know, and, um, and I had been discussing it with my therapist. And, 
and, you know, slowly the pieces started falling into place. And my partner has uh, a 19 year old son who's autistic. And I was like, hmm, there are some of these things are suspiciously familiar, some of these traits. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, more and more. And I do not fit whatever this sort of stereotype of autism is. I mean, that's really, you know, I think one of the things we wanted to address in the show is that like autism is a spectrum or it's a pie chart. It's a million different things. It's traits. It's this, it's that. Like you cannot put your finger on it, but there's this notion of what autism is based on, you know, sort of media portrayals or, you know, a particular group that's more vocal, like parents with autistic kids. And so I was like, well, I don't fit in that. Where do I fit? And you know, when it came time to sort of actually like pull the trigger and go through the process of getting diagnosed, I was like, well, what if I'm not autistic? And then what? And then I'm just bad. Like then I'm just a terrible, like then I just am a struggle bus and that's all. Like I'm just on it forever, you know? Yeah. So, then I'm just not hu- good at humaning, like right, being a human. Right. Like, yeah. Do I just and, not get it? Yeah. Right. And it, yeah, I had like really complex feelings about getting diagnosed or even thinking about it, you know, and a lot of those come from sort of ableist views of of what it is to to be autistic, what it is to have a neurodevelopmental condition. Like it's all of this stuff. It's like it's a lot to take in, girl. <laughs> yeah, I can't I, I cannot imagine. Also, what was your idea of autism? Like when you heard that word before you really, really understood the spectrum? I mean, I think, you know, look, I've I've done therapy for a long time and and I, you know, I I tend to, um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for difference and challenges. And so it wasn't like I was like, like dope, like it wasn't like every autistic person is like, you know, Raymond Babbitt and Rain Man, you know, like it wasn't like that or like Sheldon, you know, or something like that. I obviously, you know, had had a more nuanced view of autism, but I didn't really know about it from an adult female perspective and someone who is sort of subtly autistic. I didn't know anything about that. I mean, like I said, my my partner's 19 year old son is autistic. And so I understood what it meant for him and what his presentation was and what autistic traits he had and what challenges he had and what strengths he had and all of that. But I was like, well, I'm not a 19 year old boy. So, you know, like, and thank God for that. Yeah. Uh, because that is a rough age yeah. uh, for sure. So one of the privileges of not having a condition is not having to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a terrible thing, but it's like, how often do you think about anyone with a disability if you don't have one yourself? And that's, you know, and so I was probably just bopping along, you know, not even thinking twice about autism, but also having deep questions about myself and my, you know, sensory sensitivity and my, you know, my sort of pathological chattiness, if you will, um, and and why I was always in trouble and couldn't hold my tongue and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say that I was like, oh, my God, like what? Because um, I had done enough research, you know, I had done enough <laughs> talking with my therapist. 
Um, but I would dare say that a lot of people who, you know, who I told did have that reaction. Like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, that's because you don't know anything about autism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did the word autism ever get brought up when you were younger or? No, no. I mean, look, I'm, you know, I was born in 1978. Um, I went to school in the 80s. You know, they had only just started, you know, th th like there was one kid with a disability in my entire elementary school. You know, there, there were no, nobody had classroom aids. There was just none of that. I mean, and I don't think it would have raised, like, I didn't raise any flags for, you know, for any educators because I did great in school. I was very smart. I wasn't like a mean kid. I didn't like, I wasn't, didn't pick on other kids. I was just like, talkative like I just could not shut up and I got in so much trouble and and the teachers just thought like you're a behavior issue like you, you don't have an uh, another problem you're just like you're you're willful and you won't shut up and so I you know I don't I can't remember when I sort of first learned about autism I mean I it clearly was not important enough to register when I when I did learn about it a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It is interesting, the different trends of uh, just the classroom, uh, you know, how authoritative figures would basically talk to students or or quote unquote handle students you mm -hmm. know I think our parents were of the generation of rulers and you know corner punishments and then it kind of changed from there but I, you know in the 90s of going to school I remember it was like Ritalin like that was the big thing mm. it was all just like there's got to be an easy quick fix just to calm the kids down and right. it's not something that I but I just remember that 
word very specifically being, you know, in elementary school and, you know, it would just get tossed around and talked about all the time in the news. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it it's just very interesting to see the different patterns of how uh, kids are spoken to and their yeah. their uniqueness is essentially handled as opposed to kind of asking questions of why it would pertain to them and instead of just putting like a blanket like it must just be this because this is what all kids must have right right no there's much more sensitivity now and i think you know a, a lot of that is i mean it you know time just marches on we all advance and um you know but there's a lot of work of you know, activists and advocates and, you know, a lot of parents of autistic kids have done a lot of work, but then also a lot of, you know, autistic people themselves are self-advocates and have said, like, this isn't appropriate to, you know, like, I I need these supports. And, um, you know, it's just become much, people are just much better able to express what they need. But, you know, look, if I was in a classroom today, would I, would 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 an average teacher you know, know that I was autistic? Probably not because, because part of, you know, I mean, look, part of being female in society is bending and twisting and, and contorting yourself into the way that you are supposed to be. And even Mm -hmm. somebody like me who generally doesn't give a shit uh, and is gay and like already nonconforming. And, you know, like I came on your show wearing a literal hoodie uh, and you're like wearing a delightful blouse and have a nice background. I'm like, like whatever my hair is not to like, I can't tell you when the last time was that I wore makeup that wasn't like to make me less red. Like what? I haven't worn like I just don't care. that much. And uh, I have literally no idea what I was just saying, because I was so entranced by myself, the thought of myself with makeup on. Um, (laughs) Like, I'm on a roll. And then I just screeched to a grinding halt. No, that I was, I fully uh, buy into contorting. Yeah, but like, I I remember, I remember what I was saying. Right. But like, like, you know, I think that a big part of you know, being a person who is not a a male in in this society is like twisting yourself into a pretzel so that like people give you the time of day. Um, mm-hmm. And then so you're already doing that. I was already doing like some amount of making an effort to like be like everyone else. And then and so an autistic women are doing that in spades, right? Like autistic women and girls are just like, there's so much pressure to not be loud or not be like a shrinking wallflower or to like not be weird or to not have like a special interest or to not like, to not not, like name your thing. Like there's just so much effort that goes in, you know, to, to like, just getting by in a day um, and not being judged and like fitting in. Um, And so that's all just to say that like, I am very good at mimicking. I'm very good at masking. I'm very good at camouflaging. Like I'm, I'm like hidden in plain sight. And so a teacher wouldn't necessarily today be able to pick that out because I'm really Mm. good at not being like a weirdo when I'm a total weirdo. 
know, like I can't keep still, you know, I'm always fiddling around. Like I just have a compulsion to talk, you know, obviously like you haven't gotten a word in edgewise, Candace. So <laughs> do you just want me to host this now? Cause I mean, <laughs> basically feels like what I'm doing. I, I'm sorry I was about, about to grab that. my cup. No, it's like, no, you're all good. I mean, no, but this is all important to also the rest of our conversation. I, when in the spectrum of autism. First, actually, why did you decide to go get, is it tested? Is it evaluated? What is the actual process? Yeah, it's a, it's an evaluation. I mean, a, you know, a, a psychologist or neuropsychologist, uh, there are a lot of people who will, you know, do a battery of tests. Um, you know, there's, there's a, you know, and every diagnostician does it differently. I took a series of what they call psychometric tests, which are sort of um, standard within, within the, the field. And, and then I, you know, I, I, I sort of had to write out answers to a series of questions. And I had a, you know, a, a very long sort of, I wouldn't say interview, uh, like, I guess it would like be session, an evaluation. Yeah. With, with this psychologist and, you know, um, some weeks later, you know, I get an email back from her. That's like, here, here are my findings. You fit in the DSM, you know, the, the criteria for the diagnostic and statistical manuals definition of autism for whatever that's worth, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's, but, but like, you don't need to get a diagnosis and, and no one needs to get a diagnosis. It's very expensive. It's hard to find people who are qualified and mm -hmm. competent to do that for ad adults. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of attention paid to children and not very much attention paid to autistic adults. And so, but for me, it felt important to have an answer. You know, like I'm fine to diagnose like a rash. You know, I'm happy to go on WebMD and diagnose like a sprained ankle. You know, <laughs> but this seemed like I wanted some kind of answer from a professional. In that moment, did it feel like you really got an answer? Or did it leave you more with a lot more questions? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I think that it's like, what's a word mean? You know, like it's basically what it's telling you is that you're, you know, the way that your brain works is different. Like your brain yeah. is wired differently. And I think it's validating to know that, if, especially if you're like me and you grew up feeling like, you know, you were a trash bag because you like couldn't shut up or you were always getting into, you know, disputes with people or whatever. Um, that you can say, oh, actually, like my brain processes information differently. I, I, I. I um I have a different understanding of like sensory stimulation, you know, like I have a different way of communicating um in the world. And like that's important to know. It doesn't fix, you know, like all of my many years of challenges. Um but it certainly takes some pressure off uh, you know, it, it helps in a mental health sense, but then it also, you know, it opens the door to a whole host of other questions. I mean, you know, I, I remember talking to 
the the psychologist who who diagnosed me who is autistic herself and she said you know when she first was diagnosed she like couldn't really function for a year you know i mean her life fell apart she felt like because it was like this whole new framework of understanding yourself and you kind of have to rebuild your notion of yourself um after that but also then you're the same person you know yeah. just with like armed with like a lot more information but you also got this diagnosis in 2020 i did yeah yeah november Ooh. no was that november yeah yeah yeah. november 2020 it's a really breezy time in the world yeah it was really <laughs> casual i was just like hey i'm just you know I, I like walked home from work from my office and, you know, then went to the grocery store and went to the movies with some friends. And I was like, I guess I'll just get an autism diagnosis also, you know, it's like Scientology. Casual. Just go get the test. Yeah. The stress ah, test. Yeah, exactly. Just pop I, right in. You know, it was actually funny. There was somebody at a sandwich board just standing outside, you know, like, would you like an autism test? And I was like, hell yeah. yeah. Now I'm in a cult. So... Yeah. <laughs> It's a slippery slope. 2020 was a crazy year for a lot of people. It makes so true. Sense. I would love to know, you know, the 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 Venn diagram of like the, you know, 2020 and like people who ended up in a cult, you oh, know, God. and just see like, did people or did they leave the cult? Because they were like, oh, yeah, no. And once the world opened back up again. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So 2020 was um, I mean, I think that that was that was part of the push for me was like, ooh, everything fell apart. And my life got very, very small. I mean, as a lot of people did, I think I had a, an easier pandemic than most because I already worked from home. I got to, you know, my job, I'm a, I host and produce podcasts like that. I can do clearly from my closet where I am right now. But everything in my mind like got reduced down to nothing. I be I got in like survival mode. Like the only thing that I could do was work. And like I didn't pick up a bread baking hobby or I didn't like get more fit or learn an instrument or anything like that. Like any extra stimulus was like my brain was going to explode. So my life became ultra small and, you know, and then you had a lot of time to think. <laughs> Like so much, a lot of time too to much think. time, so much, too much time to think. Time. I mean, I guess that's a luxury in a way because there are a lot of people who didn't have any time to think because yeah, they were like true. saving lives and like bagging groceries and like doing these things that they were not paid enough money for. But, uh, but I yeah, mean, the I pendulum mean, swings both ways, and I, I, I feel like that's the hardest, <laughs> the the therapy game where it's like you know every therapist is always like just because there are bigger problems in the world doesn't mean your problems aren't big and it's true it's true know. look you know thank you Cheryl. just because yes. just because you're you know she has a broken leg doesn't mean my splinter hurts any less this is, hey splinters hurt as someone they fucking hurt and they they do it's very hard to get them out and you need assistance it, i i will say i don't know i've never broken my leg but splinters are very yeah. painful. Yeah, it's so. true. Unless you have me around, I'm an expert splint splinter removal there removal remover. I am an expert splinter remover. I mean, I could have been a surgeon. Yeah, exactly. with these you're, meat hands. You're I basically a surgeon, so you just start. Yep, that's your next podcast. I'm basically a surgeon, <laughs> where I just do unauthorized medical <laughs> procedures on people. I'm into it. I'll listen to up. it. <laughs> um, when did you decide to start recording the process of your, uh, was it post-diagnosis? I mean, when did you go, no. you know what? I want to start 
making sure that I'm documenting this so that other people can hear it? Or was this really just documenting this for yourself? Because I would imagine this is a sensitive time in your own self-discovery and, you know, to be making sure that it's all on a microphone. Um, or was it almost cathartic for you to do so? You know, I have never done anything. I've never done any project on myself. I mean, I've been a journalist for 20 years and the idea that I would ever do work about myself is so foreign to me because I find myself to be the least interesting, you know, in a room. Like I'd much prefer to talk about other people, do stories about other people. Um, But I think that when I was, even before I got evaluated, even before I really started digging into things, when I was looking around for resources, you know, I didn't find that there was much that spoke to me. I am not a TikTok native. I'm not a YouTube native, really. Uh, you know, so so people who were making videos, you know, younger people who are making content, like it just didn't really speak to me. I mean, I'm glad that it's out there, um, but it wasn't really, you know, like I'm a book reader, like I watch documentaries, you know, I'm boring. And I listen to podcasts because it's my business. And I thought, huh, like where... Where is the thing that I would consume that would help me out or that where I would feel like, "Mm, yeah, that's that's my story. You know, I mean, I'm under no illusion that like I will ever be represented in media like I'm like a middle aged dyke with autism. Like I'm not. No one cares. Um, (laughs) So I'm like, I have to represent myself. So no, but I, I really didn't see anything that really spoke to me. I mean, there were a couple of like really excellent books I read and I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, my partner also works in audio. And so it's kind of natural just to like, you know, flip on the voice memos on the iPhone and just, you know, chat about questions I had. And then and then I started thinking like recording is a way that I can force myself to engage in the process. So, you know, and then I started like, (laughs) like even before I thought I was going to make anything of this. Like I was acting like I was already making a podcast. So I was like calling up experts, you know, and I, you can do that when you're a journalist. Cause people are like, okay, like, great. I'm like, I hosted this, this, and this, like, can you talk to me about, you know, about your research or about your organization or whatever? And they're like, sure. Uh, I didn't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have all these interviews that I taped with people, um, some of which I use for the show, you know, but I like I didn't have a, a podcast, but it was a way that I could engage with autism and, you know, understand better the condition and the comorbidities and the research and the history and all of this stuff. You know, rather than I, th- I feel like if I didn't make it into a project, then I wouldn't have engaged with it. And it would have yeah. been like, yeah, yeah, sweep under the rug, the end. Do you feel like autism was your podcast guest? Like you were <laughs> like just slightly interviewing autism? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, what'd you eat for breakfast? Autism. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it. I think it, it it was also discipline, I think, to, you know, to capture certain moments that like I would never want anyone to hear. Um, I don't know why I did it. It was actually a terrible idea. <laughs> it's really, really sucks. It what sucks. are those <laughs> moments in the process where you're like, oh, gosh, like, the, the, you know, I assume it's not 
all just like hugging and researching and being like, wow, what a what a fascinating fact. And now I understand this element to my childhood. No, Check that off. The list. Like mostly crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just mostly meltdowns. Um, no, it's a lot of hard truths and it's a lot of. How did it was it hard talking about this with your family? Uh, yeah, no, it's like I don't want to ever do that again. I already came out once like, come on, I don't want to come out one more time. You know, like it's just hard to especially, you know, because some people could say like, who cares? Like you're 44, like go go out to pasture, you know, you're done. Like, we don't we don't want to hear from you anymore. You know, uh, it's sometimes how I feel. It's like, no, like, you know, w- once 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 you start whispering menopause, people are like, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 go away. Go away. We don't want to hear about you anymore. Like, like we can smell it from a distance. Yeah. No. So um, but yeah, I mean, talking to the talking to my family, I don't know why I'm like menopause, my family, like, what is my train of thought right now? No, it's this so is honestly up. a lot of the conversations. This is I just feel like I'm just on the phone with a friend. Like, this sure. is we, a lot of my conversations <laughs> have been about menopause family. Right. Actually. So, right. So, you know, look, I, it's hard to it's hard to talk about because I'm still learning. Like, yeah. you know, I the, the literally the first people who heard the show were a group of um, high school journalists. Every year I do, I do this talk to this group of high school journalists who come to DC and they like, they're like all bright eyed and bushy tailed. They're so excited to be, you know, in like learning about media in DC. And I'm like, it's terrible. Don't do it. Like become a doctor or a nurse or do something, you a know, splinter remover. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, and I uh, was like, can I, can I just play you guys some stuff that I'm like that I just worked on? Like I just finished this show. Is that okay? Meanwhile, I'm terrified of teenagers. It's like the worst possible thing that I could do is be like, here are my guts, 15-year-olds, like, you know, enjoy. And I'm like their parents' age, you know. Um, and you know, I said. Like, how many of you know what neurodivergence is? And like almost every hand was raised. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, my God, you guys are so good. You're so smart. And you're wearing little suits. It's so cute. And you and they all knew that it was not a movie with Shailene Woodley or anything exactly, like that, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. But she could, okay. you know, she wants to be in my movie. She can be. Um, uh, but but I, I played it for them. And that was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying to like, And why should it be terrifying? It's like, so your brain works differently. The end. Like, I'm not like telling you that, you know, like, I don't know. What's a, what's a scary thing to like, what, because there's nothing they've done wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's the shame as if, if, as if you're confessing to a crime that you committed when you were, you know what I mean? It's like, there's no, and there's also just like the mental. Well, there's stigma. There's, there's shame about other things, but there's stigma and there's like, oh, how's anybody going to understand this? Like, I barely understand it myself. I'm still learning. Like I'm trying to unpack like 44 years. Like, how am I expecting Mm -hmm. them to get it? But like, you know, you got to give people credit because, because like they'll surprise you. I mean, kids, they don't care. Like kids know everything. They're the smartest. Like, I mean, teenagers are terrifying, but they also are just like, you know, they can't tie their shoes, but man, are they smart? Um, you know, they have no tactile you know, skills, but boy, oh boy, uh, they they're are, learning they all the things everything. on the TikTok. Yeah, it's true. That's, it's true. It's very true. 
Yeah. So, so, you know, in thinking about like telling people it's, it shouldn't be hard, but it is because it's, it, it, because people don't understand. And, uh, and, and like I said, I barely understand myself, you know, and researchers barely understand. I mean, you know, the, the, the sort of joke phrase or the, the, the common phrase in sort of autism circles is if like, you know, one autistic person, you know, one autistic person. And it just means like, good luck trying to pin this down because there are a million different iterations. And it's true. Like, you know, there, when I have met other autistic women who are about my age and sort of have very low support needs who have a subtle presentation I'm like yeah girl I see you like I see like one one woman I met she was like I don't do hugs and I'm like awesome that's great we don't need to hug like like and 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 she could say that to me because I got it and because I'm I'm like yes I do not like hugging strangers I'll do it but it's not my favorite you know and or another person told me we we had our music composed by this amazing New Zealand artist named Lady Hawk, who is an autistic woman, you know, like like was like a pop star in in New Zealand. Um, and she was like, I really do not like un- people who are unpredictable, meaning like people who are unwell on the sidewalk or like a like a person experiencing some type of mental health crisis or experiencing homelessness where you don't know, like you can't predict their movements. It makes her very anxious. And I was like, yes, I feel that way too, but mostly about animals and birds in particular, you know, it's like these little tiny things where you're like, oh yes, like, like when we share these traits, but, but I don't know, I'm rambling, uh, but, but it's all just to say that like, there's so many varieties and so many flavors and so many presentations. Um, and I think that's why it's really hard for people to understand, yeah. especially because, you know, you see somebody like Temple Grandin, uh, who is probably the most famous autistic person, and she has a very particular presentation. In fact, she's, I think that she's is, has savantism. Like, there are very few people who are autistic, who are like her. Or like, you know, the TV show Extraordinary Attorney Wu. She is a savant. There are almost no autistic savants. That's like, it's a very tiny fraction, you know, sort of like Rain Man presentation. It's like not, it, it's real for them, but it's not, it's not the, it's not um, the norm or the, com- it's not common. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And that's interesting that that's what um, kind of the like anything in like TV or <laughs> movies or films has been projected and uh, towards a little bit more. Yeah, well, because we because typically when people with disabilities are uh, or are portrayed, it's like overcoming something or being extraordinary at a thing like, yeah. you know, you can just be like incidentally autistic in a show you'd have to be overcoming your autism you know or have some like superhero strength or something or interest and it's like that's not most people's experience you know nor is it most like you know nor are most um you know wheelchair users like you know, action sports athletes, but those are the things that get covered. You know, most people who use wheelchairs are just like living their lives, you know, not being extraordinary. They're just like average people, like 99% of the rest of us just trying to get by, you know. In your experience of uh, making the podcast, making your podcast and also learning more about autism, what do you wish and hope that people would understand about the autism spectrum that they don't? I mean, that it is so vast. Um, But I think that's a tough one because, I mean, obviously what you want in the world is like that everyone is accepted and everyone is accommodated, you know, and that's that's a hard ask. I mean, you know, that's it's a hard goal. Um, but I think that just having more, I guess what I would want is for people to be more curious and to be open to having their preconceptions like demolished, you know, like I've had some pretty great experiences with friends who have 
been really curious. What does that mean for you? How, how, how do you see that playing out? Like, what are some of the challenges? Because, you know, I'm not somebody who just wears it on my sleeve. And I think having an interest and then also, you know, for me, I can only speak for me personally, but then like, I use this analogy a lot. It's like, I'm gay and I look gay and I sound gay and I love gay things. And like, I like being a gay person in the world, but also like, I'm incidentally gay, you know? And that is, that's a privilege in a way. I wouldn't necessarily be able to be like that if I lived in a different country or I looked a different way or something like that. But like, it's just one of my identities. Every My people know I'm gay, but also I'm other things, you know? Mm-hmm. And that would be, you know, I am an autistic person. We walk amongst you. We have jobs. Some people don't. Some autistic people don't. That's cool, too. Some autistic people um, are non-speaking. That's cool. Some are speaking. That's cool. Like, there are lots of different um, ways of being and just having more grace around that and more curiosity. It's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> in my yeah. mind. In my yeah. mind. But also, like, I've probably been a, like a total jerk about other things where I, I should have had, you know, sort of more grace and curiosity. So, you know, it's, it's a, I, I need to take my own advice. Well, I'm very excited to listen to your new podcast. In the nice. teaser, you mentioned um, in a situation with a caper in a bowl of soup. Oh, man. And I'm very interested to get to that episode to learn more about the caper and the soup. It's real and, embarrassing. Um, and the full, the, it sounds like it was a full circle journey and maybe you have a different perspective looking back now I have had to do you know there are a lot of ways that I like I've had a really wretched temper in my life and I've had a lot of things that set me off and I didn't know why and I thought what is wrong with me that I'm so angry and and when you get diagnosed, you realize like, oh, the reason why you're angry is because there are stimuli in the world that you cannot control and that are setting you off. They're triggering. And the way that they trigger me is, you know, I, I get angry and I have had, you know, I, I, I have in my in the last episode of the show, you know, I go back to an ex-partner and we like unpack a lot of my bad behavior. And I don't need to be absolved of that bad behavior. I can own it. But I can also say, this is why. And being able to have the this is why, like, why did I flip out over a caper in my soup? Like, it seems so stupid, but also capers are gross. So every <laughs> most people would flip out over that, I think. It's like, oh, there's a rabbit turd in my soup. Like, <laughs> yuck. But, you know, I'm able to go back to these moments where I felt deep shame and say, oh, oh, this is why I'm so sorry that that happened and that I did that. I really did not know if I knew then what I know now. Yeah. I would have been able to manage that situation a lot better. I would have been able to manage that stimulus a lot better, or that trigger a lot better. Um, and there's something I can do about that, but acknowledge you know, the, the, like the way that I could have done that 
better and how I would do it now. I don't know. And, and acknowledge another person's feelings about that, you know, because it's not easy. It's not, it certainly is, you know, there are challenges there when you, when you communicate differently with the world, there are going to be, there's going to be friction. Yeah. I think that is an interesting part about just getting older in general. And if, when you do have the ability and time to actually look inward, look backward, look, look at yourself and kind of do that self-work and like wonder, like, how did I get here? And wait, what what was the multiplication process to get me to react in this way in yep. that circumstance? And um, I'm like, I'm going to butcher it. My therapist I'm working with right now, he says, like, it's not always like some things are just given to you. Mm -hmm. You know, some things it's not it's it's not your fault, mm -hmm. but it is your responsibility yeah. on the other side of that. There's a, like, there's this beautiful way that he says it, but it's just looking backwards. Um, what I appreciate about this point in my life and just the aging process is being able to look back at my younger self and give that person so much grace and be yeah. like, Hey, it's okay. Like you're forgiven. You don't have to feel bad about that anymore. And it's, you're human. Yeah. You are human. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really important. The sort of ownership of a situation. I mean, I think that's why therapy is so important because it sort of gives it it, it feels like you're <laughs> you're being responsible to the world by dealing with your shit. Um and, you know, I there are things that that I if I am aware of triggers, if I am aware of certain reactions, uh I can make sure that the situations that I'm in, that I have control over, like th that, I, that I'm doing something about it. Like I feel it's my responsibility to be proactive. I'm not saying that's true for every autistic person. Like I'm only speaking for myself. There are situations that, you know, if I am, if I am overwhelmed at a party because it's too loud, it's too busy, there's too much small talk, whatever. And uh, like, I have a, like a pact with my partner, like I go when I need to go um, mm -hmm. rather than making her anxious, rather than making other people like rather than making my stuff, other people's problems. Like I have the tools now to advocate for myself and to say, I need X in yeah. this situation. It's not that much to ask for, um, you know, and and I think that goes into the sort of, you know, the generosity and, and accommodation and, you know, all of that, that we all need different things, but knowing what you need is very important because then you know how to, to ask for it and then how to be accountable, you know, if, if that doesn't happen or if, you know, whatever, I just, yeah, I mean, knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. Therapy is genius, you I know, Agree. And I also think what the world needs is to listen to your new podcast, oh, The bless. Loudest Girl in the World. <laughs> um, truly, I'm so excited to hear the rest of it. Just the teaser alone is just beautiful, vulnerable and just grounded in, you know, so much of like a moment in your life where you're going like, OK, let's let's go. Here we go. I, this is this is this a new chapter. And um and before I uh, close out this chapter of this episode, I have Ooh, this fun one. thing that I do. Uh, it's like five things. It's like a, a little like cool down, if you will, Ooh, from our good, conversation. I am sweating in my closet Ooh, here, boy. 
<laughs> well, I'm going to cool you right down. Thank you. It's uh, five things just to, to kind of, <laughs> so we can get to know you just a little bit better before you mm. go. Um, it's what something that you like, thumbs up, something that you like, something that you know, something that you hate. You know something. you're gonna. I, I was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat I cannot this. hold all of I'm, these in my I'm brain. Gonna, my brain is so tiny. I'm gonna repeat these for <laughs> like you. If I have to remember these, I'm gonna die. Your Here's. Let finger. me tell you what something I know. I can't love. remember this shit. <laughs> all right. And a quirky right. fact. Okay, I'll walk you through it. Okay. Go ahead. Something that you like. Thumbs up. Something that you like. Ice cream. Love it. Something that you know. Uh, what do I know? Um, uh, I know so many things. Um, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, there is no city in America that has more bridges than Pittsburgh, my hometown. I love that. I love that anyone from Pittsburgh is like, you want to know anything? It's about Pittsburgh. Let me tell one of my dearest friends is also from Pittsburgh. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and, it's like, and you know that like he swam in high school and he's from Pittsburgh. Like those are the two things you will know within five minutes of meeting exactly. him, which I think is fantastic. Um, something that you hate. Oh, oh, I hate when you walk past somebody on the sidewalk and you say hello and they ignore you. Yes. Yes. Because then it's that internal. I'm like, wait, did they just not see me say hello? Did they think I was saying hello to someone else? No, I said hello. And they just chose to like that's I will then exactly. I'll spend the whole time in the grocery store just until I get back in the car. Like, yeah, I'm like, great. Having... One more person who hates me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, something that you love. Oh, dogs. 100 percent. Love dogs. All dogs. Mm -hmm. I have one. My partner has one. I'm obsessed with dogs. Love them. OK, and then a quirky little fact about you. Oh my god. Uh this is truly embarrassing, but I have a um lapel pin collection uh that has a special box that has lapel pins. Like they're it's like a box for pins. And I love collecting lapel pins. That's and amazing. I wear them on blazers because I also have a blazer collection. <laughs> like a true yeah. lesbian. That's what I want to see behind you in the podcast. Like that's what that should be your backdrop. Is there they are. There they are. Yes. Yes. So sorry. So sorry you had to see that. Lauren, thank you so much. For oh, my pleasure. Me thank you, Candace. And good luck with your show. This has been a Super Boom podcast, hosted by me, Candace King. Produced by Melissa D. Montz and Diamond and Print Productions. Post-production sound by Chris Henry and advertisement partnerships with ACAST.